is that? Imran. You all right? Not really. Someone put a pipe bomb through the cat flap. You're joking? Of course I'm joking. That's not funny. As if they've got a cat flap. Oh, Toya's got cat flap written all over her. Right, are you okay holding the fort for a bit? I just need to see me mum. I've got this Marianne Keys book for her. It's the only one she's not read. Sure. Okay. Oh, do you mind uh, pouring me a nice little drink when I get back? My pleasure. All right, see you, mum. See ya. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. Welcome to episode 193 of the Talk of the Street, another official Cornish Street Catcher podcast that wonders where Steve got that wee miner's light, wonders where it's been, and wonders what exactly has helped to be seen. I'm Gavin. Flicking the light. I'm going in. <laughs> and I love you for ten long years. Ten long years. It's actually been more than ten years. Well, yes. Yes. But, so. this, is, but this week is the anniversary of our engagement. Right. Ten years... Ten years ago, a couple of days ago, ish, ish, I walked into the baggage claim of Logan International Airport. Get yourself something to eat, listeners. <laughs> this will take a while. And there you were, down on one knee, in the baggage claim of Logan International Airport, Boston, Massachusetts. Carousel A. <laughs> you were late. Because of my mother. My mother was driving because I couldn't drive at the time because I just had surgery. Was your mother driving to the wrong airport? That's how I kind of remember it. Or she'd forgotten how to get to Boston. I th- she'd forgotten how to get to Boston. She'd, yeah. she'd gone on the wrong interstate or something. Yeah. Yeah. And I was very mad at her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was good fun. Yes. Something about <laughs> for an hour. <laughs> on one knee. Yeah. Oh, it's getting a Got little a bit. Cramp. Getting a little bit stiff there. <laughs> Surrounded by... I think most of my bad back problems probably relate to that now. You should sue my mother. Right. Again. <laughs> Surrounded by cheering, applauding strangers. Yeah, we've got a wee round of applause, which yeah. is nice. Yeah, it was like a rom-com. I don't know if I'd applaud someone that was doing that. <laughs> I don't think I would. But... Yeah, on the Americans whole... Americans for you, right? On the whole, I'm not a, a huge fan of, you know, public... In engagement offers right you know like on the jumbotron sort of thing yeah it has that little kind of bit of cheesiness to it right that i don't think i appreciated at the time yeah however i feel like ours was ours worked because that's where that's kind of where we met with logan mm-hmm. airport right <laughs> where we where we spoke to one another face to face for the first time right was logan international airport it boston a, massachusetts it was an important place Airports are important places for things like that. Yes. And particularly for us. Yes. So, yeah, it was... It was an appropriate place. It made sense. Yes. Whether I would want to watch someone else do it, (laughs) yeah, it's it's debatable. But hey, it all worked out in the end. It did. We got a yes. And here we are, 10 years later. Which is just as well, because you helped me pick the ring, so... (laughs) But yes, here we are. Some 10 years later. 10 years? 10 years. So much has happened oh, in those 10 years. I know. Can't think of anything right now, but I'm sure I'm sure you're right. Oh, 
We lived through a pandemic. Well, we're, well, we're still living through a pandemic. We're attempting to. I got cancer. Yeah. Your mum died. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure good things happened. Is that we moved to Michigan? I've had approximately a hundred haircuts. <laughs> Many self-administered. Yeah, that's right. I was still, I was still officially living in Scotland and just British. Yes. Yes, you became an American citizen I'm in sure those 10 my, years. my two passports yesterday, <laughs> which I carry about with me in my man bag. Yes. So we've got talking at work, and I, this is the closest I'm going to be to Jimmy Bond by bringing out two passports. Ooh, fancy. Which is still quite fancy. One of them's expired, though. I've never got that. Um, My British one, or my European one, renewed. No. It expired, I think, last year. This is fascinating. Yes, it is fascinating. Shall we preamble with you? Yes, please. Give us some of that engaging Corey news. Oh, well done. We are absolutely gutted. Alexandra Mardell has announced this week that she is leaving the show. Say ain't so. I was like, surely this is just a... This is just fake news. But then it was from her Instagram post. I was like, hmm, maybe not then. Right, yeah. Ugh. Yeah, so there, there, there seems in some of in some of the conversations, in some of the things that not what Alexandra is saying, but what ITV executives are saying is that there, there does seem to be a kind of a tiny door open for a return at some point. But she seems quite chuffed to be leaving, if I do say so myself. I don't know why they would kill her off. It sounds like it may, you know, that her leaving may be tied to the whole ridiculous Ted storyline. Oh, really? In some way. But anyway, we know she is busy planning her wedding and we wish her all the best. Yeah. She's, she's also Instagramming an awful lot of those wedding planning bits. And it's so adorable. It's so cute. I love planning a wedding. That's why I've had three. <laughs> yeah. Um, mixed feelings about this one. Yeah. I mean, I'm... Um, I'm sad that she's leaving because uh, we've really loved her since she since she came on. She yeah. was really she's always been one of our favourite characters. Yeah, she was a character that the show really needed yeah. at the time when she came in. You know, she was just good fun and she was just a ray of sunshine, and it was really unusual to have a character like that. That kind of ray of light has been attempted to be extinguished yeah. so many times by the show which I, yeah. I, I kind of wonder if that has much to do with our yeah. reasons for leaving because they've really started messed to go with her down character the, right and we started to go down the same road doing the same things the whole unlucky names in love thing right? and it was, over and over and over again uh, does this character deserve a bit more now yeah and I was thinking yeah I think, I think she probably does I don't think she was getting it right and then this I imagine this is a decision that she's made long before the the Dead Ted storyline came up. But even that was just... As, as you're watching it happen, you're thinking, is this the storyline that we're going to give her? Mm-hmm. This is it now? Where a good person is put in a bad situation again. Right. Again, again. Right. Again, 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 again. Right. So it's like, if that's all you're going to get, and she's what, been four years? Yeah, three, it's been four three, years. Three, four years in it. Yeah, it's like, 
I can see why she's leaving. Yeah. Somebody said on Twitter, well, you know, these young actors, they, they get too big for their boots and they go off and they do try and get better things and they don't always happen. Which is true, right? Mm-hmm. People do leave to go off and do bigger and better things that end right. up doing smaller and worse things mm-hmm. or end up coming back. Right. And But she's like 28. Yeah. If you're not going to... If you're not going to try and do something new when you're 28, right? I mean, those decisions are just going to get harder to make the older right. you get. So yeah, because let's let's be honest, as 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 a woman in entertainment, she's got another good 10 years before it's just her her choices become very very limited right. as far as the roles that she is offered. So this is this is the time for her. I mean, that is getting better. I have to say. I imagined her being on the show for years. Mm-hmm. I, I, you just assumed so, right? Being a fixture, especially since she's, especially since we now know that she's Steve's daughter, you know, right. and that that's a family that's a fixture. Yeah. On the show. Yeah. And and yet again, we're losing another young woman on the show. Yet again, we're we're losing a person of color on the show. If we lost one of the white guys, you know, and I'm not, I'm not saying that as, as any sort of negativity towards white guys, because I love white guys. I'm married to one. I am one. Yeah. <laughs> but there's only so much you can do that's new and interesting with white male characters. Well, it seems like there wasn't very much new and interesting they could do with young black female actors. Well, yeah. Well, I think that there were things that they could have done that, that they just chose not to. But, you know, it's just, yeah, we are. Bon chance, Alexandra. We've enjoyed your work. We've yes. loved your work. We've loved your character. Yes. We love what you've brought to the show. We will still follow we, you on Instagram. Yeah, I think we both wish her all, all the, the best. best in her future endeavors. We Absolutely. hope to see her on the cobbles again at some point in the future. Perhaps. She can find a role on Waterloo Road, where at least she'd run into some familiar faces. Yes, she would. Rachel Leskovac, our Natasha, was recently cast in the BBC series, as was Kim Marsh. Yep. (laughs) Yeah, saw a lot of commentary about that again on the Twitter. And uh, that's all I'm going to say about that. Mm -hmm. Good Good for Rachel, though. Yes. That's not been too long since... Since Natasha's death. Right, which I'm still sore about. Yeah. It's good that it seems like she's really landed on her feet and people are acknowledging what a great actress she is and and giving her these opportunities. So good for her and for Kim. Waterloo Road isn't the only new thing in Kim Marsh's life. (coughs) Our former Michelle has also announced this 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 week that she's going to be a grandmother again. What? Yes. Her son's fiance. God, I feel so old now. Her son's fiance is due in the summer. Kim also has a three-year-old grandson named Teddy. She's forty-five, so technically we could be grandparents at this point. We're just lucky that Nick has no interest in starting a family. Yeah. Although I guess technically, and I guess this is kind of, this is extremely frightening, and I don't really want to think about it too long. Biologically, any one of our three kids could be having kids right now on classic and Corey at the moment sarah lou is now pregnant at 13 yeah which is the age stella is <laughs> right which is terrifying <laughs> it's terrifying but also thank god she seems to have little to no interest in in boys her own age she's only interested in 50 year old celebrities so <laughs> <laughs> let's not pick at that fucking scab and I, I i don't see i don't see you know 
her her oh, studies. Please, why, why are you <laughs> deliberately trying to tempt fate here? So uh, what are you doing? Uh, is like, it tempting? F- let's listen to this in six months' time when you know. Like, no. Let me finish because obviously this is not tempting fate to say. I think we're safe that she's not going to start a relationship with David Tennant or Robert Downey Jr. anytime soon well, or Owen Wilson. Well, when she does. And we listen back to this podcast. I told you so. David Tennant is never leaving Georgia. But anyway, let's go. That is Corey News. No mention of neighbours, which isn't Corey News. No, that's not that, Corey News. But it's a sad soap bit of news. And it has resounding effects, I think, on the entire soap industry. Well, I think the, the news of, what is it, Holby City that's um, going all on online? The two, the two of them just yeah. together is, is sad news for for fans of continuing drama across the world mm. if this isn't profitable because that's what the bottom line is right and when if the bbc do away with the license fee you know all your all the shows that cost a bit of money to make are all of a sudden very much under the spotlight see i guess from my point of view american soaps have already kind of been shot in the ass and and some of the most long-running ones have already ended right so you know it to me, the writing was already on the wall 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. But it takes a while to it does. filter around the world. Yes. If Channel 5 can't make money out of one and a half million viewers when they show it in the afternoon. Right. In the, in the late afternoon. Right. What's wrong with their model that they can't make money out of that? Right. Anyway, there's a campaign to save neighbours. I encourage people to, to sign up, make your voice heard. And I Soaps are important to people. Send in some money. I don't think you need to send any money to anybody. Well, if they're not making money anymore, that's, you know, you a petition's cr- not going to no. allow them to start making money on it. No, but it, it highlights the interest and the support that the show has. You can't crowdfund neighbours, I don't think. Wouldn't it be interesting if you could? We could do like a Kickstarter for it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll let another podcast do that. And now we'll podcast for coffee. <laughs> As I was trying to think, how am I going to express this? I had the the phrase, we're still supping at the teat of Mark from the Dales from last week. So Please have, don't say that. That's not a great thing to say. It's not a great thing to say. So thankfully, I, I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that we don't have any new coffees this week, but we do have the coffee money from last week, which is what is paying for my coffee, which is in our, our uh, what would you call that? Our banner? Our banner mug? Our big face mug. Big face mug, which is now <laughs> available on teespring.com slash the talk of the street. Yes, you if can, you want to have my face can, and Helen's on your you morning coffee. You buy a coffee. mug with our faces on it. Right. I think it's a good mug. <laughs> I keep on forgetting when I'm in video conferences that I'm drinking from it. <laughs> so I'm drinking like, from a mug with my face on it. Why is Gavin drinking from his own? Anyway. And I'm <clears throat> using my I Turtley Love You turtle-shaped coffee mug yeah. again, which you think would be good for soup. It, it is a good soup mug. Mm. <clears throat> if you want to buy us next week's coffee, if you think what we do is worth five bucks every now and again, yes. you can buy us a coffee by going to ko-fi.com that's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street and we will be very appreciative thank you forever in your debt absolutely let's talk about new tubes now 
you get into this section a little bit more as it's as it's kind of bedding in, or are you still a bit on the fence with it? You're what, still on the fence with what it. What does my face say? Yeah. This is a section <laughs> where we talk about what's new on our YouTube channel. A veritable bounty of content this week. We have last week's podcast. We have three clips of the episode, and they're good clips of the episode. And then our superb cut was from Classic Cory, which I've called If You Seek Amy. This is Dev's first proper storyline as a main character. Sadly, though, it's a bitches be crazy story where his ex from Birmingham turns up claiming to be pregnant and then she turns the residents against him rather too easily, as it turns out. There's questionable views on mental health, suicide and a little bit of racial subconscious bias. But hey, it comes with a Britney theme tune and it's got lots of dev in it. So what's not to love? You can check that out. And then I've started doing Cory Life Stories this week's. Corey life story that's on YouTube is Tim's dad, <laughs> Jeff Metcalf. The life and times of Jeff Metcalf are chronicled to the atomic level in Corey life story. So feel free to check that out. You can get to our channel by heading to YouTube.com/slash The Talk of the Street Podcast. Please like, subscribe, smash that subscribe button, and then I don't know, tickle the notification bell. And now this. Oh, welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to Last Year Tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about default setting. Default setting. Hmm. I got nothing. You know, I like how you don't cheat. This would be very easy for you to figure out. You've got a week to listen to the, the first 30 seconds of this podcast from last year. Let me in on you. And you I, clearly don't do that. And let me, in, and let me let you, you in on a little secret. It's good that you don't cheat. I don't fucking care. <laughs> you don't. <laughs> this was Sarah, I mean, <clears throat> that's right. This was Sarah describing <laughs> David's rude and insensitive attitude to Gail ahead of Gay Ted's funeral. Oh, that's, that's right. That's just a false end. That was, the, that was the Ted that was dead last year. Mm-hmm. Last year's dead Ted. Yes, last year's dead Ted. I was Gavin and you were tired of the snow. I don't mind it now. We talked weather again for a good five minutes. (laughs) We talked about the flight attendant for a good three minutes. Oh, yeah. We talked Golden Globes for another four minutes. Because we didn't didn't have have a a separate podcast to do that on at this point last year. Yeah. That's coming up for uh, six months that we've been doing that. Wow. What? (laughs) The List of List podcast. Yes. Our our pop culture and stroll through the Rolling Stones best 500 songs of all time. Yes. Yeah. So. I listened to the full episode last last year's full episode, Mm -hmm. which I don't normally do. I just normally listen to the first 10 minutes of it Uh and I I get the gist and I've got my notes from it from last year there. Yeah. But I was in the car, I was driving to work. My phone was in my pocket. I couldn't be bothered going through three levels of clothes to get to it. Mm Mm-hmm. So I just ended up listening to, to the whole of last year's show. And it's a hoot. Is it's, it? It's a hoot and a half. Is it a hoot and a half? It's worth listening to. <laughs> Not so much the, the preamble bit where we're, we're a little bit uh, snippy with each other, which which, <laughs> which I don't know if was for comedy or was just we were just kind of snippy with each other. Yes. But uh, it's the week that we sent off Tyrone Shutt. Across the ocean. Oh, that's right. So there's lots of fun bits and pieces in last year's <laughs> episode. Not so much this year. 
It may not last forever, but Gail's name being on the deeds for number eight is fantastic enough for us to ignore the speed at which the deal went through. Shona is thrilled at the idea of David the human eating David the dog's food. Johnny spends most of the week loudly announcing his hallucinations to disinterested prisoners. Rapidly approaching the big 4-0, Tyrone's nose is easily put out of joint and thanks to an ill-conceived coffee run with Alina, he's probably got fizz up to her neck in it with Gary. Ray is getting itchy feet waiting for Debbie to organise his flip to Turkey, but her plans seem to differ from his and may make their relationship somewhat frosty. Leanne is still addled with grief, but finds some comfort in the discarded plumage of a bird and the advice of a Scottish TV charlatan. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were kind of losing patience with that story. Yeah, that was year. ridiculous. <laughs> uh, I was watching... What was I watching? Oh, it, I think it was... Yeah, it was House of Gucci that, you know... There, there's a where Sama Hayek plays a, a um like TV psychic, and uh, you know, if eventually becomes through this and through her through Lady Gaga's character, con- you know, calling her and everything, they become friends and become embroiled in you know this mad plot, and it kind of reminded me of this. Oh, that- you know, the whole... You heard it here first. House of Gucci. Reminiscent of that storyline from Coronation Street. You know, the whole, you know, being manipulated by someone on TV doing... At, at least in House of Gucci, it was the 1970s. So right. that was more realistic for somebody to be manipulated by someone on the television. Yeah, good times. <laughs> Tim Sports a jaunty cap. Billy loves juice. And we barely knew Joe at all. Our moment of the week, ridiculously, was David Eaton Dogfood. <laughs> And a boring moment of the week was Johnny naming animals he can't really see. And that was Coronation Street and the talk of the street this time last year. Yeah, see, Johnny is a good example. Johnny died. It didn't really change much on the street as far as the storylines they can do. Jenny was sad for a bit. Yeah, Jenny was sad for a bit, but now she has Leo. And she was basically the one running the Rovers. So she's just continuing to run the Rovers. Oh, may I remind you of Monday's pub quiz? (laughs) What happened to that one time? Shall we dive in? Medea. Yes, please. Our first storyline this morning is our last storyline this morning. So jumping into our second storyline this morning, we have proper dying. On Monday, life with Gary and Maria seems to have returned to normal in the rose gold flat, with Kelly helping out with Liam and doing the dishes and stuff. They're sickeningly jovial with each other. Gary calls Maria babe seven times. So many times. And the rose Kelly runs into Homeless Stew and they have a wee chat again about how they've landed on their feet. Homeless Stew's quick to credit Kelly for his turn in fortune, which Kelly is reluctant to accept. Should we start calling him no longer Homeless Stew? I find it hard. (laughs) When I type in Stew, it auto-corrects to Homeless Stew. (laughs) Maybe next week. Okay. Stew offers to treat her and Gary to Anne-Maria. And Liam. And Liam to a special lunch at Speeddal. Just as Laura the Chin comes in. Kelly storms off and Laura chases after her wanting a word but Kelly says that her life is really great now and she doesn't want her mum fucking things up for her again so Kelly Gary and Maria go to speed dial Liam doesn't he has a he's He's at soccer practice he's got a thing he's got soccer practice so they go for lunch and Gary is uh, he's doing that arsey thing where he wants to compliment the chef he Mm -hmm. wants the chef to come out so he can compliment the chef right Gary's got a bit too big for his boots again hey garçon la décision when Laura the Chin comes in demanding to speak with Kelly and when Kelly isn't interested, Laura announces that she dying. She dying. Laura insists that she really is proper dying this time. Mm-hmm. Kelly calls her a liar to her face. 
but she insists that she has stomach cancer and only a few months to live, and she pretends to come over all peculiar and has to sit down. Laura tells Kayla that she's sorry for abandoning her, trying to sell her story and all that jazz. She realises that she's not a good person. She wants to make amends and explains how she's living in squalor now in a new bedsit. Kelly thinks that she's looking for a handout and has just looked up cancer on the internet. Gary asks what stage she has, but strangely Laura doesn't want to answer that question. Yeah, she, she deflects it, mm-hmm. which is suspicious. Right. But is it a suspicious red herring? Are we are we meant to see that as suspicious and and yet it's Because if she's lying, all she has to say is four or three, right? Right. But maybe she hasn't looked into it that deeply. <laughs> Right, if it's true, she knows which stage she's got because right. the doctor's told her. Right. If she's making it up, surely she can surely she can figure that out. Right. I know, I feel like it's a, a red herring. I, I kind of feel like she's dying. Yeah. So Kelly runs off to the community garden. Gary goes after her. Kelly wonders if Laura's telling the truth, but there's no way of knowing. Gary thinks it doesn't matter. Kelly doesn't owe Laura anything. In the flat, Gary and Maria chat about Laura and Kelly, but then decide to get their hole instead, allowing Kelly to sneak out of the flat unseen. That was kind of hilarious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all that talk of cancer's put Gary in the mood. <laughs> he does like death. <laughs> yes, he does. Ugh. Just horrible images in my head now. <laughs> On Wednesday, at the Rose Gold flat, Kelly is feigning a migraine to skip school while Gary and Maria leave for work. And on the street, Gary bumps into Pointless Kirk, who has turned up this week to tell Gary that he saw Kelly wandering about outside last night because that's what two men would talk about. Maria comes along to announce that Kelly isn't at the flat, which sends Gary's suspicions through the roof. She must be back on drugs again. Yeah. Because that's, that's, the, that's the, the explanation, right? Gary is the new Kev. <laughs> oh, she's back on drugs again. Guest number one. Mm. I don't know what... Gary's reluctance to allow Kelly and Laura to get close again. Mm-hmm. Well, is there any ulterior motive to that anymore? Because I don't know if he cares anymore. Well, he seems to. He seems to at this point genuinely care about Kelly, and not just because he killed her father. Mm. There, there seems to be genuine care and and affection there, which is nice. And I think we've all seen Laura just really mess Kelly up and Kelly's in a good place now and I think he just doesn't want that to happen I don't think he's thinking about the fact that maybe if the two of them get together again and and compare notes they'll realize that Kelly's dad is dead yeah I I can't remember even what what I know that Kelly doesn't know anything does Laura I think Laura may have her suspicions she knows I can't remember. I don't know. Where we got to with that. It was so long ago. It was like three years ago. But Kelly isn't on drugs. She's round at Laura the Chins, tidying up her flat so she can die with a shiny hob, but not like that. Kelly makes Laura lunch, which she doesn't eat. Kelly calls her a drama queen and she doesn't deserve all this attention. Laura wants to make sure Kelly knows how amazing she is. Eat then, says Kelly. Who still doesn't seem too happy with this situation. No. And she's still tidying when Laura gets all maudlin about Kelly being her only achievement. Make the best of what you've got, Laura says, as Kelly goes out for milk. And later, Kelly and Laura are having a friendly game of goldfish and chatting about how Laura is destined for the fires of hell. Seeming to enjoy that conversation, the two of them. Yes. So Kelly gets back home and has to face Gary's accusations of her renewed drug taking. Understandably, Kelly doesn't take too kindly to this and storms out of the room, which brings us to this week's hard debate. 
in the rose gold flat, it was Gary's turn to jump to the wrong conclusion, believing that Kelly was back on the muck. But whose turn do you think it will be to jump to the wrong conclusion next in the rose gold flat? Do you think it's going to be Maria about Rick? Kelly about Laura? Liam about French? Or Gary about drugs again? I, I believe I chose Liam about French. The voting was thus. Maria about Rick, 15.6%. That was the lowest one at 15%. Quite evenly spread this week. Gary about drugs, 17.8. Liam about French, 31.1. And Kelly about Laura, 35.6%. Hmm. That's quite a quite quite a nice evenly even distributed. Spread. Yeah. I, I, I felt like the Liam one was the funniest one. Of yeah, that was, one that, you, that was one you pick. Yeah. yeah. That's why I chose it. Thank you. You're welcome. And thank you for everyone else who chose that. <laughs> the others, not so much. <gasps> this seems to be just the ongoing part of this storyline is people jumping to the wrong conclusions about things. Right. People hearing half conversations about things. People assuming that other people don't care for them. And right. I don't know how many times Kelly's packed already, but she's right, about yeah. to do it again. Right, yeah. And that's kind of frustrating. It's like, all right, enough of this. We get it. We get it. And this would be fine if we're building up to a super soap week. But I don't think we are building up to a super soap week. On Friday, at the Rose Gold Flat, Gary is encouraged to feel sheepish about how he handled Kelly last night by Maria. But when he goes to apologise, guess what, Helen? Kelly's gone. She's Ke- already packed all her stuff and left. Kelly be gone. I don't think she's packed. She's just not there. Because later, Gary gets home to find Kelly packing. Again, she's off to live with a mate. Gary apologises, but if he's overprotective, it's only because he cares. He asks her to wait until he gets home from picking up Liam to talk about it more. Sure, she says, with absolutely no intention of doing so. Because she leaves and she goes to see Laura, insisting that she wants to take care of her mum. But Laura, oddly, wants none of it and tells Kelly to go back to Gary and Maria's. She's planning on being dead soon, so best go back to the ginger guy and his missus, she says. Back at the flat, Kelly comes back, announcing that she's decided to stay after all. And also, she's going to take up running. Okay, says everyone. Because it will help her... Help her with her mental health issues. And Maria has made a cake. Huzzah! Huzzah! No, Liam made the cake. Oh, don't eat that cake then. <laughs> That's why there's all like the, the jokey jokies about, I don't know, do we trust that cake? Uh, no. Gary Maria, wouldn't be making, a file in it. Gary wouldn't be making the, that joke with Maria in the room if Maria had made that cake. Do you not think so? No. Mm. He's a sensitive soul as Gary right now. <laughs> That's as far as we get with that this week. Uh, I have to say, <laughs> you know, in the broad scheme of Coronation Street, I do like Gary and Maria together. I think they work better than Gary and Sarah. Even with all the babe comments? Yeah, because she's the kind of person who seem, who who I think would find that romantic, being called babe all the time. He does it an awful lot. He does. does she, do, she does it back to him, though. Yes, she does. So that doubles up in the babes. Right. I just don't like it. <laughs> it just annoys me. You know, sometimes it, it, it annoys me when Sarah is constantly calling Adam my darling. That's what I call you. I know. That's why it annoys me. <laughs> oh. No, because I like it when you do it. <laughs> okay. But when Sarah does it to, to Adam, it, it's... I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> we have plenty to talk about on it, that it, side of it. When Sarah says it, it sounds condescending a little bit. I think it just sounds surprising that she's saying anything affectionate to him because she's not known for that. Right. But anyway, so yeah, we'll it's kind of sarcastic. Yeah, but yeah. We will, we'll, we'll talk about that. Is Laura dying? 
You know what? I don't know. I think she is. The jury is still out. I think the the. There are moments where I think she definitely is, and there are moments I think she's definitely not. The rubber hitting the road for this for me was when Kelly says that she'll stay and take care of her. And that didn't seem to be what she wanted. And I think if she was making this up, I think that would be what she wanted. No, see... Unless there's a, there's a bigger scam and a bigger grift going on where right. it's important to, to turn this down because you want her to accept or suggest something bigger later. Yeah, see, for me, when she says no, that she doesn't want her to stay with her, that was... My that was for me the biggest red flag that she's lying because if Kelly was there all the time, then Laura would have to keep this up all the time. No, oh, that's and she true. doesn't want to have to keep it up all the time. So what is she? If it is a, a lie, then what's she after? Money from Kelly? Affection, time. Hmm. Kelly does have a job, so she's making money. She's a part-time hairdresser. A part-time trainee hairdresser. She's making no coin whatsoever. Right, but that that wouldn't stop Laura from pinching money from her. Because yeah. Laura's a bad person. She is. If she is dying and she is on her way out, I think she's a good character. You do? Yeah. I don't. I don't like her. Well, she's a terrible mother. Right. And she's a terrible person, but I think yeah. she's a good character. Yeah, I don't. I don't really like her because it kind of see it kind of feels like they swoop her in recently, for very yes. specific things and then swoop her back out again. Recently, I would agree. It, it, she feels less like a character and more like a plot device to me. So I wouldn't mind her leaving. Yeah, at this point, the way that she's been kind of brought into it—that's yeah, that's kind of how it's felt. That every time you see her, you're like, oh, what's Kelly going to have to go through now? But. Maybe that's down to the fact that she hasn't been used all that great. No. Because she was good. She was just noising things up with Gary and I enjoyed the noising things up with Gary because it, it kind of suggested that we were going somewhere with that or we'd remembered that this is a story that is uh, awaiting resolution. Right, which, again, for years <laughs> now, mm-hmm. we still don't know. Yeah, 2019 that happened. Yeah. <laughs> Rick the Chin was killed before the pandemic. And we still haven't yeah. gotten any resolution for that storyline. Mm-hmm. It's at this point, it kind of feels too late. Yeah, it gets to the point when they're going to resolve it, and people can't remember anything about it. It's like Robert's funeral. Yeah, if we were to have that now, it would be weird. <laughs> There's still part of me that's just waiting for Robert's body to be discovered at the back of a cupboard somewhere at the Undertaker's. Hopefully, a number of people have said that to me, and I agree. It's... Hopefully, in ash form. <laughs> Hopefully there's not a corpse back there just no, hanging out. No, I don't want a corpse. Just in like there, the in like blue. the in like the back corner fridge, you know. Well, they little, haven't pulled that drawer in a long time. A little tag on his toe that says "Pobert Reston," and that's why it's just been left because <laughs> somebody's mislabeled it. Damn you, Undertaker! Anyway, let's move on to Mad Max Two: Beyond Daniel Dome. On one day, Daniel batters down the rover's door in the morning. He's looking for Daisy. Jenny can't help. And Daniel, unconscious of his behaviour, asks if she's going to see the police. Right, which is <laughs> such a dumb thing to do. It seems kind of anti-Daniel's character to be that dumb. Just gets the alerts. Right, you know, up in Jenny's primed. head. Because right, one of the kids from next door came to the door and said, is, is Benny in? And we said, no. And they said, is he at the police station? 
We go, what? Wait, what? <laughs> yes. Just kind of what's happened here. Yes. Jenny's confused and Daniel runs away. Daniel finally catches up with Daisy. He's frantic to know if Daisy has grasped him up. She insists that she didn't. She's not that sort of person. He doesn't make a habit of this uh, sort of thing. After all, she says. Which made me laugh. Which is kind of partly true. Once he learns that she hasn't grasped him up, he does more of that thing where he thinks that he's given her chat, but really he's been a total awful sexist stuck-up prick. Daisy seems to want to ask where the two of them are with each other, but then she chickens out and she asks about Ken instead, which is weird. Hmm. So the back in the rovers, Jenny finds Daisy and asks what's going on between her and Daniel now that Lydia's not on the scene anymore. Daisy looks like she hasn't got a clue and reckons that Daniel is focusing on his career, whatever that means. Jenny isn't buying it. And neither is Daisy for that matter. Right. Jenny's like, he's not... He's not an actor. He's not an actor or a pop singer. He's a, he's a teacher. Mm-hmm. And not a very good one. How much focus does he need to put on his career? Which is unfair to teachers, but... It's not unfair to Daniel, though. Yeah. At number eight, Max announces that one of his crappy videos had made a shortlist, but the judges have heard about his trashing Daniel's flat, and so the video has been disqualified. He's gutted, although he seems to understand why that happened. Yeah, that doesn't seem like a thing that... Should happen. No. On the street, Shona runs into Daniel and doesn't waste any time blaming him for Max losing out in the video competition thing. Daniel isn't moved by this, reminding Shona that he broke into my flat. Yeah. (laughs) This is the thing that kind of frustrates me about Shona and David and all of this, is that they seem to want to refuse to acknowledge the fact that Max did something bad too. He broke into the flat and he trashed it. Right, and he broke something... That Sinead had made. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Has some value, let's say. Well, it has some major sentimental value to, some, some to value. Daniel. Shona explains that she wouldn't rescue Daniel if he fell in a sinkhole. If the sinkhole at number eight still exists, that's a very clear threat. On Wednesday, David and Max are heading into town to get a new phone case for Max. Gail wants them to pick up some tights for her. They're not really going for a phone case, though. I thought that's what they were going for. I thought they were going to talk to somebody about this whole film thing or something, and that the phone case was just a cover. No. You're you're making a special event to go buy a phone case. They're going out for a phone case, and then we want uh, Gail to ask for tights. I think that's the whole point of that. It's so Gail can (laughs) ask for tights and we can laugh. Who even wears tights anymore? Gail. And Shona wants him to pick up milk. He tells Lots them both of milk picking up this week. To get to fuck. Shona thinks that this is just David trying to distract himself. Gail seems to be the only plat who thinks Max is getting what he deserves here. Right. Because he broke into Daniel's flat. Right. And he trashed it. Right. Caused some damage to something vaguely sentimental. Right, yeah. And Shona's like, how dare you not be on Max's side on this? Then later, Gail is out shooting three-pointers with Max and Lily. Nope. Later, Gail is out shooting three-pointers with Harry and Lily. Shona is grassing up David to her thoughts on Max, which Max, of course, overhears, and he stomps off in a bad mood. David blames Gail for all of this. All of it is Gail's fault. Well, you know, it was her bad parenting of David, which made David bad parent Max. So a good choke of this is Gail's fault. (laughs) Daniel is wandering home past the community garden when he sees Max crying and he seems to consider stopping and saying something but then he continues to wander away like a total prick. Daniel is in the pub reading Byron. Of course he is. I mean, seriously, just such a prick. 
I read books in pubs. Do you read Byron? No. Byron's a prick. Daisy comes over and explains about seeing Max, blaming himself for whatever Max was crying about. He worries about Max's future being fucked. In that case, come clean, says Daisy. In which case, my future's fucked. Yeah, do the right thing, says Daisy, who's lost interest in this. Right, she becomes Spike Lee. On Friday, it's the day of Max's school meeting thing, and he's still worried that he's going to get kicked out. Sean and David advise him not to get too worked up about it, so he goes off to his room to <clears throat> not get too worked up about it. David worries if maybe Max could do with the shock of expulsion to keep him on the straight and narrow. Maybe Gail had a point after all, and Shona is appalled. Meanwhile, Daniel is still a prick. He's walking down the street when he sees Max round the corner and he promptly attempts to hide from him. Real- that was funny. Realising that I'm going to call him a prick for that, he mans up and confronts his teenage aggressor, wishing him luck today at his exclusion hearing thing. Max tells him to suck on a big old bag of crusty dicks for pushing him down the stairs and he challenges Daniel to tell the truth. At the Rovers, <sighs> Daniel is burdening Daisy with more of his Max woes. <laughs> Daisy fails to see the problem. After all, Max is a scrot here. Daniel is contemplating coming clean. Daisy reminds him of Bertie, whose whereabouts are unknown, but Daniel has made up his mind. That's what he's going to do. So, at the Crawshaw meeting, David is there with Max when Daniel bursts in and interrupts. You can't exclude that child, shouts Daniel. I wasn't going to, says Crawshaw. <laughs> the police aren't pressing charges and the incident took place outside of school. So as far yeah. as they're concerned, the matter's dealt with. Right. Oh, says Daniel. And backs up slowly. He's the Kool-Aid man of this situation. Back home, David tells Max to drop this vendetta that he's got against Daniel. Otherwise, he's going to end up dead on drugs in a ditch. Back at the Rovers. How can you be on drugs if you're dead? Uh-huh. That's a joke. Okay. Back at the Rovers, <laughs> Daniel tells Daisy that Crawshaw stole his thunder, so he didn't get a chance to confess. Which, yeah, well, if you wanted to confess, you really you, could have you, confessed. You still could have done it. Daniel thinks it still isn't fair that he's getting away with it, and he needs to clean the air with Max, and Daisy no longer cares. So Daniel goes to number eight and makes a heartfelt apology for his part in everything, although he definitely still doesn't confess. No. David and Max accept Daniel's apology, but when Daniel leaves, Max calls Daniel a prick. And that's as far as we get with that this. 15 year old boys, am I right? Yep. Max has got a point here though. Well Yeah, but everyone sucks here. Every everyone yeah, everyone does suck here. But you know, the fact that Daniel even came to apologize for any of it, you know He's and, apologized already. Right. Well this was this was very specific into both of them, you know. And it just, it feels like you'd think that Max would at least take some consideration in in all of this and some acknowledgement that, you know, because, you know, David had just, had just said to him, look, you got to, you got to drop this vendetta. And it seems like the vendetta is not dropped, that he still no. has a bee in his bonnet. Yes, he does. And the whole, let's remember, the whole, the whole vendetta started because Daniel told him he needs to do his schoolwork, which is his job as a teacher. Yeah. That's how this all started, with Daniel doing his job properly, and yeah. then slowly well, descending into not doing his job properly, and Max just happening to be around enough to catch Daniel being improper in situations that would make their relationship even worse can we have a quick game of good guy wank no let's go through the characters of the story and decide if they're a good guy or a wank they're all wanks daniel wank why 
because he can't he can't admit that he pushed Max down the stairs, and also you know he he does the breakup with Lydia, and also the not being honest with Daisy about his feelings, and you know still not really accepting that he was at fault with the whole summer thing and still not, you know, wanting to admit how wrong he was. And I think that's it. Max. Wank. Why? Because of the whole, you know, accusing Daniel of doing something with Summer when he wouldn't care if it was a girl he didn't like. And he does like Summer. Um, for just being a dick about his schoolwork and not getting his schoolwork done and blaming the whole world for how unfair the whole world is that he has to do his schoolwork. Um, (laughs) For punching Daniel. For being such a dick about the whole upskirting thing. Like it's not his problem because he doesn't wear a skirt. For just being a 15-year-old boy. As one walks by. (laughs) Because they're all wanks. David. Oh, I, was I done with Max? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I think I'm done with Max. Well, no, no, no. Uh, for trashing Daniel's flat. There we go. Okay. For, you know, for for this reason that has very little to do with, with him. And if David's mad, David can handle it because David's an adult. Okay. David. Wank. Why? Not wanting to admit that his son is at fault is great. for any of this. You know, for being... Taking it out on the teacher as well. Right, but taking it out on the teacher for threatening the teacher. Um, which let's let's remember he has said, I would like to hit you. He doesn't, but he is, you know, for shouting at Daniel in the street publicly uh, in front for, of other people. Another one for Daniel is uh is telling David's secrets. Right, but I didn't count that because he didn't know it was a secret. You still don't talk about that. Well, it made sense within the conversation. If if Max hadn't said, yeah, I, I feel this personally, which is another reason why Max is a wank, is that he feels this whole, you know, consent thing personally because he thinks everybody thinks he's a, a perv and is not really thinking about the fact of how this affects his school, his female schoolmates and everything. It's all about him because he's a 15-year-old boy. Shona. <laughs> Wank. Why? <laughs> because like David, she's almost exclusively taking Max's side and, you know, confronting Daniel and, and telling Daniel he's at fault for everything, you know, when it was Max who broke into his flat and, and being far more supportive of David and Max than the old Shona would have been. Gail. <laughs> Wank. Why? <laughs> because she wants her adult son to buy tights. And she complains about everything. Mrs. Croshaw. Wank. Oh, fine. Because it took a demonstration to get her to actually take the whole upskirting thing seriously. There we go. We've proved it. Everyone is a wank here. Everyone yes. sucks here. Everyone sucks here. Actually, the person who sucks probably the least is probably Gail. Lily. No, she definitely sucks. <laughs> Lollipops don't count. No, it's fun. We should do that again. <laughs> <laughs> Our next storyline this morning is Nina we, in space. We could have gone all day. From Asha. Yes. On Monday, at Nina's roles, Nina presents Asha with an apology breakfast. 
My ex was a cold-blooded killer. Kidnapping is a step up, says Asha. What? Too soon? Shall I skip my 9-11 stuff? Nina <laughs> confirms that she's going to speak to a professional about her mental health. No, give us that 9-11 material after all. <clears throat> Asha and Nina drop in at Dev's and he is fuming that Asha didn't go to Glasgow and he doesn't exactly hide the fact that he blames Nina for Asha's sudden change of heart. Plus, he wants refunding for the train ticket. And then Dev goes through the back and leaves his store utterly unattended. Yeah. Later, Nina comes in to see Dev privately and admits to stopping Asha going to the open day. She explains about her anxiety problems that have kind of been manifest themselves since Seb died mm-hmm. and how she's going to get some help. Good, says Dev, because Asha loves you, but you can't stand in the way of someone living their best life, right. he says. So Asha goes to see Nina with ideas for a fancy dinner, but Nina thinks it might be for the best if they give each other some space. Asha deserves a break from her. And in all honesty, Asha... Oof. Asha thinks it might be for the best. Right. This well. is... This uh, This is... I was shocked. <laughs> this is just a testament to how bad Nina's mental health is, is that Asha agrees with her that they, just, that they need some space. Mm-hmm. Because the last time Nina said to Asha that she needed a little space, Asha went off the deep end. Yeah, and started... Oh, did she start going out? No, that wasn't point. She started going out with ITV Core again, was it? I think maybe it was. It was so long it, ago. It was along those lines, round about right. the same time, I think. Yeah. 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 But I think an all good consciousness... Con- con- consciousness? Consciousness. I think Asha knows that she needs a break from this. Yeah. Because she's, what, 16, 17... Something like that. She's ill-equipped yes, to very deal much with so. this, the heaviness of the situation. Mm-hmm. And, and what Nina needs is kind of more than anything Asha can probably give her. Really, right. To, which to, is, to help her. Which is nice that she has Roy to lean on a little bit here. Right. On Wednesday, Nina's rolls, Nina reveals to Roy that she has managed to snag an appointment with her GP today. And rather than tell Asha, Nina wants Roy to go with her. She wants to keep her relationship with Asha about more than her problems, which I think is a nice sentiment to have. Right. It's like, this and relationship shouldn't be all about me and my mental health. Right. And again, it's, it's a nice acknowledgement from Nina that this is not something that Asha is equipped to handle. Right. And yet Roy is. Very so, much so. So on the way to the doctors, Nina, of course, bumps into Asha. She apologises for not keeping Asha in the loop here, but Asha says that just because they're giving each other space, it doesn't mean that she doesn't care or doesn't want to be there for Nina. And she looks pretty hurt by it. Roy shuffles about uncomfortably while the two of them dance around it. And back at Nina's roles, Nina tells Roy that the meeting with the doctor went well and she's in the system now and is just awaiting a date for her therapy counselling session thing. Yes. Asha comes in to see how things went and seems to feel a bit like a third wheel as Nina and Roy chat. And then Asha must leave because then she comes back with a yoga mat thinking that this would be a good mindfulness thing for uh, for Nina to try. Right. And Roy thinks that this is a great idea. He'd had thoughts along the same lines and suggests walking and to prove it, he tucks his trousers into his socks. Uh, and he's got those 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 trainers on. And uh Are they, they're new trainers. Shiny new trainers, aren't they? No. No? No, he's had them since the eighties. Oh. And and Nina pulls a Nina pulls a Shuri in, in Black say Panther it, and says Say it properly. What are those? From the nineteen eighties. Thank you very much. That's better. He got in the middle of my joke there, which is fine. You wouldn't have understood it anyway. No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
Are we getting our old Nina back? I don't think that's the right question because that's like saying that we're ever going to get the old anybody back. She's a different person because circumstances have made her a different person. This is true. I think we're going to get a better person now that now that she's admitted that this is a problem and and will eventually get counseling. I think we'll get a better and even better Nina, which is something because Nina was pretty awesome to begin with. Yeah, like a lot of things, I think the recognition that there is a problem is obviously step one in doing something about it. I guess where I was going with the question was that she seems uh, she seems like she's gotten better already just by taking some positive steps yes and that can happen right the yes. fact that you know if you realize that you're an alcoholic or you want to do something about it yeah. is that's step one is a, is a positive step on the way admit that you have a problem to, to getting better right and that I mean, there's nothing you can do about it right. on your own yeah so i'd started to get that already from um from the, the latter part of the week where but Nina seemed to be just a little bit more settled within herself as she's having a talk and a kind of candid talk about how she's feeling to uh, to Roy. And she's lucky that she has Roy and, and for so many reasons, but there's hardly anything that Roy hasn't been through. Yeah, you know, absolutely. You're talking about acceptance and you're talking about grief and all those sort of things that, that Roy knows of what he speaks and he manages to bring a kind of unemotional view to these situations while being emotionally invested in it. It's like, obviously, he loves Nina as his niece unconditionally, but still he's able to take a step back from that and, and approach it in a methodical and yes. in a, in a calculated way. And I mean calculated and in, in a positive. Yeah, that's the way he expresses love. Right. Which is good. Yeah. I don't know about her and, her and Asha, though. I don't know how much... We get to see them actually kiss this week. That was nice. Have we seen that before? No. We've just seen them moving kind of creepily together. Together, and right. And then it, and it cuts, cuts away. God, you can't have lesbians. Well, no, because it was... I know. I know. A freaking pandemic. I know. But also you can't have lesbians. Right. <laughs> we have lesbians. Well, they're not lesbians. They're bisexual. Although none of the girls on the street like like to use labels, as we learn later on in the Amy storyline. Yeah. <laughs> but Asha, I think, was the first person who said she doesn't like to use labels. She said that to Dev, uh, Dev who yeah. didn't know if lesbians were still a thing. <laughs> <sighs> that man has watched enough porn, he knows lesbians are still a thing. They're not real lesbians. <laughs> Some of them are. Some of them are, I guess. Yeah. Not the ones that Dev watches. No. <laughs> Oh, I don't want to seem like I'm too knowledgeable about this, so I'm going to let, I'm going to let it go at that. <laughs> Tucking the socks in the trousers was a nice little, right. a nice little move. Because well, he's standing, yeah, because he's standing up to to fix something, and that's when we get to see the trainers. You know, and Nina freaks out about the trainers. <laughs> yeah, which, which was great. I I really liked that because you know it's not something that you expect to see Roy wearing. No, I remember tucking my uh, trousers into my socks any time that I rode my bike because I think it was my granddad that put the fear of death into me that if my trousers get caught up in the chain, yeah. I could fall off my bike and die. Right. Whew. A helmet would have helped with that better than tucking your trousers in. Yeah. I don't think anyone's suffered from death by trousers when 
riding a bike. No, it's like, have you ever tripped over your laces if they're undone? I've never done that. I have. Have you? Yeah. I don't think it was possible. It is. I've done it. Were you also trying to moonwalk at the time? <laughs> no. No, because if you're moonwalking, you're going backwards, so you wouldn't trip over your laces. Well, that's the only way I can feel that it would work, because you put one foot so far in front of the other foot. I just remember when, you know, folding your, your jeans over and then tucking them under your socks was a fashion statement. Was it? Yeah. <sighs> in the late 80s, early 90s, at least over here it was. I remember doing it, like, every day before school, just folding the... Folding them. Folding the leg, the bottom of your turnips. Of your jeans. You talk about turnips. No, turnips are a root vegetable, my darling. Turn ups, not turnips. <laughs> turnips in your jeans. We call them turnips. Um, I I don't know if that's you know you, you fold the flap over a little bit. Yeah, turnips. And then and then and then you flip it from the bottom. And then you flip it. Yeah. So you turn it over and then you flip it. Right to secure the to secure the turnover. You you flip it, and then and then you put your socks on over it. Anyway, this isn't a how to wear jeans podcast from the eighties and nineties. Eighties. Our next storyline this morning is Amy at eighteen. <laughs> on Monday at number one, Tracy's looking forward to Amy turning eighteen. Mary and Tracy can't wait to celebrate. Amy wants the ground to ear up until right. Tracy reminds her that she inherits forty grand thanks to Granny Deirdre. She thinks you're not a girl, not yet a woman. <laughs> Amy would rather that her gran was there. And Tracy looks like she might even agree. And there was a lot of little nods to Deirdre. Deirdre yeah, it was nice. It was very nice. It was, it was a little nice. flick of tear from you had some my onions. cold dead eye. You had yep. some onions while watching this. So Amy's on her phone. It was hilarious that Mary and, and Tracy <laughs> discussing womanhood to the utter embarrassment of Amy. Yes. That was brilliant. Amy's on her phone just as much as usual, but Tracy decides today is the day that she's going to interpret this as Amy being romantically involved with someone. Mind your own, says Amy. Which doesn't help. If no. you just said no, then that would have been the end of it. Right. But mind your own business, just... Yeah, it yeah. seems to imply that there's something there. Yeah. And then there's roles, Summer and Asha gently probe Amy for details... But on not like new, that! ...on a new boyfriend. <laughs> come back to... No, no, it can't be... It can't no, be no, stop no, that! No. Stop that! No! Bad, bad Gav. Bad. To your bed, filthy dog. <laughs> well, maybe not to your bed. Amy, re <clears throat> Amy refuses to spill. <clears throat> See, once it's there, it's really hard to dislodge. Amy refuses to spill, but gives him a clue that he's turned over a new leaf recently. Careful, says Asha. That's what she thought about ITV Corey. And Amy's smile hides a little bit of concern at the comment. Hmm. And the rovers, Mary and Tracy, are chatting about Amy's new lover and his age. Emma serves them and is horrified to see that her EFIT picture is on the paper <laughs> in the middle of the table. She covers it with a tray while Mary muses that Amy's new fella may be a sexagenarian sex pot. <laughs> They're so hilarious, you know, in the way that they just kind of, because at one point when, when, when Amy was in the room and Tracy was asking, oh, do you have a, a new flame? And, uh, and Trace, when Amy's kind of like, no, it's not a new boy. And she's and Tracy's like, oh, it's the girl. And, and he was like, no. And Tracy's like, hey, don't knock it until you've tried it. Mm -hmm. 
and Mary agrees with her. Right. Tracy wants seems to want to take on the. See, it's it's funny the difference between these these Gen Z girls and their Gen X mom is that Tracy seems quite proud to take on the mantle of part time lesbian. Right. You know, she wants that label because it makes her seem. I don't know, cool? Yeah, I'm sure she writes graffiti about herself in the <laughs> toilet. This is how we get the idea that Amy's new boyfriend is really, really old. Through through no fault of Amy Amy's. or anything that she said. It's right. mostly Mary's fault for this. Right. It's like, oh, well, she doesn't want to talk about it and she's hiding it. It must be, you know, an older man. Yeah. And uh, then they go to these flights of fancies where it's a really older man. Yeah. I took the EFIT picture of Emma and put it on Emma's face, Emma's face just to highlight how bad the, the EFIT <laughs> is. And uh, Alexandra Mardell liked it. Yes. I thought it was funny. Yes. Ha ha, funny. Ha ha. And I like it when that happens. Yes. Later, Tracy quizzes Amy about her fella's age, but Amy heard from Deirdre how Tracy lied. <clears throat> Let me try all of that again. Later, Tracy quizzes Amy about her fella's age, but Amy heard from Deirdre how Tracy tried to pull Blanche's man when she thought he was loaded and how she pegged Asha's dad that time. So she'll be taking no advice from Tracy, love. Thank you very much. When was Deirdre talking to Amy about her mother's sexual exploits? I think this is all conveniently where it was after age, the fact. Where it was age appropriate for her to do so right. before her death. Yeah. Never. Yeah. And Nina rolls, Emma meets Amy for a chat. Amy sees right through this and accuses Tracy of setting her up to get the gossip. Emma doesn't want what happened to her because a curse happened to Amy. I think those sets of circumstances are very unlikely to play out again so no. soon. No, it's more likely the whole Asha scenario about watch out when a guy says that he's changed. Right. He hasn't really changed and he's going to kill your ex-girlfriend's boyfriend. Yeah. On Wednesday at number one, it's Amy's 18th and Yay! she gets lots of lovely gifts. Tracy spots Amy sporting a new bracelet and suspects it came from Loverboy, but she insists it was from Summer and Asher. Steve and Tracy pretend that they have to work late so won't be able to celebrate until the weekend. Wink, wink. Nudge, nudge. Amy doesn't pick up on this. In Nina's roles, Summer and Asher have actually bought Amy earrings. Amy tells them if anyone asks, it was a bracelet. Summer and Asher suspect that this is bloke-related, but Amy refuses to spill any further beans on the matter, and Asher starts to think that Amy is in a thruple. I blame us for that. <laughs> Summer arrives. Because how many times, how many times on this podcast have we have we imagined Yasmin and and Stu and, and Tim's mum in a throuple? How many times have I said that I wanted that to happen? I don't think we've ever imagined Amy to be involved in any of it. No, though, have we? but we put the word throuple in their minds. I'm, I'm taking credit for that. Oh sure. <laughs> Summer arrives at the bistro to help set up Amy's party and hasn't taken a breath before she blabs to Tracy that she and Asher got Amy earrings and not the bracelet like she was supposed to fucking say. God damn it, Summer. Seriously. Tracy doesn't have time to react too badly. She and Steve have to nip home to get the big one and the big eight or something. The cake that so, Emma made. Because so, remember, Emma made that cake and the candles. They, the, the store was out of eights, so she bought two zeros and stuck them together, which was cute. Outside, Steve is confused when the door is on the chain. He looks to the letterbox and sees movement heading towards the back door, so Steve gives chase, and with some unintelligible one-liners, I assume, he tackles the intruder to the ground, while a very proud Tracy calls the cops, and then it's revealed that the intruder is Jacob. 
Get off me, you fat bastard, says Jacob. Tracy and Steve absolutely got their hold that night. Yes. He insists that he didn't do anything and challenges Steve to search him. This is a police matter now, says Steve. So the police arrive while Jacob insists his innocence, and even though it's Amy's birthday, they cart everyone off to give statements. Jacob just seems relieved to get away from Tracy. <laughs> Amy gets home with an Indian banquet on her arm, surprised to see Tracy at home. Tracy comes clean and says it was all a ruse and there's actually a party going on at the bistro, or at least there was until Amy didn't show up and Jacob broke into their fucking house and now everyone's at the cop shop. Amy loses the will to live and passes away peacefully on her 18th birthday. Mm. In the pub, Steve reckons that he has cat-like reflexes now. <laughs> Steve, Tracy points out that he just sat on Jacob's head. We have this cat. Her name is Baby Cat. Oofed. And she's like five pounds overweight. Fatumba. Yes. She's like a cat walking about with another cat swinging about at her belly. <laughs> Underneath her, yes. Right. That's that's the cat whose reflexes Steve has. <laughs> yeah, that cat can no longer jump up onto her chair. No, she can't. Or the chair topples over. <laughs> Emma wonders why he never stole anything or smeared shite on the walls calling Mr Osborne a fanny. Steve and Tracy still seem convinced that Amy's new fancy man is a geriatric. And now Steve wonders why Amy brought home all that Indian food when she thought everyone was working. Hmm. hmm, drink up, he says to Tracy. So Steve and Tracy get home just as Amy is sneaking out. She says she's off to the pub to buy herself a drink and Steve and Tracy can fucking do one, they're not invited. But Amy doesn't go for a drink. She goes to the police station to spring Jacob and they share a smooch. Jacob is the mystery fella. Yes, but we knew that already. Yeah. On Friday, Amy finds Steve in Nina's roles. He's annoyed that the police haven't been in touch with Jacob and he's further annoyed when Amy announces that Jacob has been released pending further investigation. So Amy meets up with Jacob down the alleyway of doom and they smooch. And they smooch quite a bit throughout the rest of the episode, in fact. Jacob has recovered from having Steve sit on him and they chat about announcing the relationship, but Amy needs to do some smoothing before that can happen. Jacob insists that he's turned over a new leaf and he seems to be honest and open about it. Yes. Ash and Summer are at number one and it doesn't take them long to work out that Jacob is Amy's mystery man. Yeah. So she comes clean, insisting that Jacob is nothing like ITV Corey and he has changed. Summer and Ash don't seem too pleased, especially with what happened to Simon. Amy insists that everyone deserves a second chance. Yeah, and they both remind her that it was like, what, a week and a half, two weeks ago that Jacob was outside the hospital and Amy shouted at him yeah, and said that... You know, she didn't care if he claimed to have turned over a new leaf. He's still a bad and mm-hmm. and to stay away from them. Yep. So how on earth did they get together after well, that? Th- th- this seems to be what has spurred Jacob to try and go and make amends with her. And his smooth talking hmm. and his boyish good looks seem to have gone <laughs> some way to helping that. Helping matters along. Outside, Steve has a miner's light on his head as he fits a CCTV to the back door. Talk about bolting the, the barn. Yeah. Amy is unimpressed, but Steve thinks this will stop people like Jacob from breaking in and killing everyone and smearing Mr. Osborne as a fanny on the wall in Amy's blood. Amy and Jacob then meet up again in the alleyway of doom for more smooching and for Amy to tell him about the cameras and probably the combination to the safe. They continue smooching, only stopping for a bit to do some more smooching. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Yeah. Amy does like her bad boys. She does. She has form. What was his face? Uh, Irish, Irish Tina's, Tina's son. son. Murphy. Uh, <laughs> Seamus. No, he Deagle. had... He didn't have an Irish name. And it wasn't Liam. 
No. It was. It can was you feel? A, can you just feel people, especially <laughs> at us. Uh, John Giovinacci, maybe Chris Anstey, definitely Mary Tart. Yes, shouting the name, <laughs> shouting the name of that young lad at us as, as speak. we speak. Yes, <laughs> it ended in a Y, I think. Billy. No. Dobby. <laughs> yes, it was Dobby. His name was Dobby. He was a house elf. Irish Tina had Last a relationship. Has Dobby a sock. Robert has given Dobby a sock. Dobby is free. You will not hurt Harry Potter. Or Irish Tina. <laughs> this is all the more hilarious because our dog is named Dobby. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is hilarious. <laughs> this was an actual plot point. And I have a Dobby doll upstairs. Anyway, what were we saying? <laughs> I don't remember. She likes her bad boys. She does. So she has form. It, it is kind of irritating. And she does have form, uh, again, about being attracted to bad boys who have beaten up her cousin. <laughs> she really hates Simon, doesn't she? It's a, it's a very defined niche that she has. Yes. And yet she's done it twice now. Nobody should be surprised by this. Yeah. It's, actually, I'm, I'm pleased that uh, I'm pleased that Jacob's back in it again. Yeah. Because remember, he was really kind to Kelly. I thought he and Kelly were going to be the ones to hook up for a while there yeah yeah the way that they've kind of placed this is like kelly i know that simon definitely wants about that yeah but he's and so good. does so does addy yep and i think addy has more of a chance with kelly than simon does sorry simon we haven't even seen simon in a god's age in a while he didn't turn up for amy's birthday no <laughs> wherever he is Still trying to think of what that guy's name is. No, you've just looked it up. I haven't. I thought you. I thought that's what you were doing. No. Yeah. So I forever, thought... forever, forever, <laughs> forever from now on, his name is Dobby. His name is Dobby. Just go over it. Because I mean, what even would I Google? Irish Tina's son. <laughs> well, her name was Vicky, wasn't it? Sticky Vicky. Yes, because we had Scottish Vicky later, mm-hmm. who was Welsh Chelsea. <laughs> I'm glad that we find this funny. <laughs> it kind of means that it doesn't really matter if anybody else does. Well, some or people, just an enormous waste of everybody's some time. Some people find it funny and some people are very confused. They're like, that's not her name. Her name is Blah. We're like, we know. That's the joke. Here's a quickie. It's Tim's mum about the house. Yay! I get to do my little... Tim's mum about the house dance that no one will ever see but I'll play, you. I play the drums. I'm, yes. I'm too busy playing the drums to see what you're doing. I do a lot of shoulder action. The bit at the end, the doom, doom, brum, boom, boom, is my favourite bit. Yeah. On Friday, Tim gives Tim's mum a little tinkle. And I like that. She's made him a big old sandwich that he tries to hide when Sally comes in. Tim's mum insists it's healthy. Tim disappears for a shite, allowing Tim's mum and Sally to chat about Tim's mum having a movie night with Tim. Sally suggests terms of endearment saying that Tim loves a weepy rather than those high-octane action films that Tim's mum was going to show. Tim's mum was touched by this information and thanked Sally. And then there's roles. Peter and Steve try to wind Sally up about Tim's mum muscling in on her patch. She gets her revenge by telling Steve that Tim's having a movie night later that maybe Steve would be interested in. So Steve still has his miner's light on from another storyline when he goes to visit his friend Tim. And then he settles down with him and Tim's mum with popcorn, non-alcoholic beer and a movie. 
even when it transpires, that it's terms of endearment. The miner's light is a really nice touch here. Yes. I'd, I'd like to say that the, the fact that that decision was made. I also I really like it. that Steve seems to watch a movie whilst clutching a cushion. Yeah. Well, That's a nice. sad movie. I do that sometimes. That's just a nice touch. Yeah. So later, at the end of the movie, Tim's mum, Tim and Steve are, are all in bits. <laughs> they are. So cute. Steve tells Tim that he loves him as he leaves. I love you too, you big bear, says Tim. And I'm just reminded of you and Stoops during that. My friend that. Stoops, my colleague, my yes. big bear. Yes. Sally <laughs> comes in as Steve leaves, incredulous that Terms of Endearment has been a hit. Steel Magnolia's next, says Tim's mum. Oh, pig tits, says Sally. And, and Tim says, yeah, put it on. I like a little Dolly Parton. And that's all that happens in that storyline this week. And, and Sally admits that she's a bad person. Yeah, and Tim's confused as to why. She says, oh, because I f- forgot to pick up milk. Right. Yeah, but yet, yet another storyline where picking up milk is a plot. But she feels like she's a bad person because she, she tried, tried to, m- to ruin, ruin movie night mm-hmm. and instead made it better. Yep. <laughs> Although I feel like they'd all be really emotional and tearing up at the at the end of a Fast and the Furious movie too because family. Oh. I've never watched one of them. No, the closest we've ever gotten is that one with The Rock and... Um, Calvin and Hobbes. <laughs> or whatever it was called. Hobbes and Shaw. Black with, and Decker. <laughs> the Rock and Jason Statham. <laughs> Jason Statham. Because we like The Rock and, and Jason Statham. Mm-hmm. We did like that movie, though. I like doing I've seen that movie twice now. <laughs> I saw it in the theater because I love my children. I didn't. I th- no, you weren't there. <laughs> I think you were going to see a horror movie at the time. Oh, was that, was that The Evil Dead? And no, I, th- I don't think that ties in. And I think oh, it was, was it first Halloween. And I think Halloween? it was just Benny. I think Stelly. I think that Stelly was at a friend's house, and it was just me and Benny. Anyway. Or no, no, I'm thinking anyway. about that movie with The Rock anyway. and Kevin Hart. This is what we want. Which is from a good movie. A, a Tim recuperating storyline. Yes. Just a little vignette, basically, and a Steve little wearing- soft, funny story. With Steve clutching a pillow and wearing a miner's yeah, light. That's all we need. Yeah. Four scenes, that's all we need from that. Yeah. It was lovely. Yeah. And it was and nice Sally to see getting her comeuppance. Tim and Steve together again for hey. I mean uh, I still fondly remember that time that they wrapped tape around one another and pretended to be velociraptors. Mm-hmm. They've Good. also hit each other whilst wearing <laughs> uh, bubble wrap, haven't they? Probably. I just remember the velociraptor thing because it was so hilarious. The thing that I remember about the two of them was when they broke into uh, Duncan's office. All right. With a Sally storyline from just before she went to jail. And they were hilarious. They, wouldn't they pretend to be cleaners or something? Yeah. But they had no cleaning supplies with right. them. Right. 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 They were like John Bradley in that awful movie we saw last week. When he broke into that professor's office to contact NASA. Yeah. Less said about that, the better. Poor John Bradley. Oh, well. No, I really enjoyed this. It was nice to see them all together. Tim's mum not being quite so annoying. Right. Tim's mum looking like she's grateful for, for Sally. Sally still is not happy about no about this situation. And but it, at least it seems like she's kind of acknowledging the fact well, that she's being a bitch about it. She was diplomatic about it when she was talking to Peter and Steve in the, in the cafe about it. You know, we, we will miss her when she's gone, she said, which right. was kind of loaded, doesn't it? Yes, and they knew it was loaded. That's why they kept giving her a hard time. There was a little wink that Peter gave to Steve Yeah. that I absolutely adored. Right. It was so playful, but it was all, it was really sort of blinking, you miss it. 
but just that we're going to have a little bit of fun here, you and I. Right. I really, I really appreciate. Yeah, that. some gentle ribbing, and but not you know, like that. this is this is kind of okay. This is the kind of like the, <laughs> you know, the the interactions and the that you want from people on the street who may not necessarily always be in one another's storylines. It's mm-hmm. kind of just bumping into one another at Roy's and, you know, giving each other a hard time and, and asking about family and stuff and stuff that seems much more relatable. Right. I agree. Plotting to murder people. Yeah. Relatable doesn't really come into our final storyline. No, today. it really doesn't. Again, and neither does believable. And to Jeremy Bremner must be stopped. On Monday, Sarah's still sore about Adam missing her birthday breakfast and birthday dinner yesterday, thanks to Daniel and Lydia getting in his way. Adam points this out, and it seems that Sarah may be thawing on the matter. You know, he was just doing what he thought was right with, right. with uh, her friend and right. his uncle. Right, yeah, you had to stop and think about that for a second, did you? Yeah, Yeah, and and he rightly points out to her, he's like, look, you've always said if I see a woman in trouble, I should help her. Uh She's like, oh, damn it. At the factory, Lydia appears with panel chocolat to apologise for being drunk at Adam for 30 seconds the other day. I've trained him well, says Sarah. We need to go back to... uh, Last time they mentioned panel chocolat, you got some panel chocolat and they went down very well. Yeah, we need to go back to Costco and get some more panel chocolat. Lydia insists that she's better off without Daniel, who managed to suck the joy out of every situation. And we've been saying that for years. Mm -hmm. At the law office, Adam is preparing for a meeting with a new client when Imran comes in and asks when he last saw his car. Last night, says Adam. Yeah, you might want to have a look at your car, says Imran. So Adam goes to see his car and someone has panned in the windscreen. Summer? <laughs> someone has panned in the windscreen? It sounded like that's what you said. I someone. Think, I think he said someone, but someone. it sounded like Summer. Maybe someone did do it. Maybe. Fucking Summer, I'm telling you. Maybe now she's she's got a crush on Adam and no longer on Daniel. Sarah gets wind of the car situation. Adam is sure that Jeremy Bremner is to blame for this and despite Sarah's pleas, he heads off to sort this out once and for all. So Adam finds Mr. Bremner down a dodgy dead end with what looks like a lot of stolen gear out the back of a van. Every time they say Jeremy Bremner, I get a picture of Jeremy Renner in my head. I get a picture of Locke from Lost. That's weird. Because at least Jeremy Renner, his name rhymes with Jeremy Brenner. Bremner. Locke, spoiler alert for Lost, Locke dies and his body is flown back under the name, I'm sure it's either Jeremy it's Jeremy B something. Uh-huh. I think it might be Bremner. Anyway. Mine's more exciting because it's like Adam has a vendetta against Hawkeye. <laughs> Adam would win. Adam admits to keying Adam's car. Adam? Bremner admits to keying Adam's car but insists that he had nothing to do with nothing else. Adam says he won't be intimidated and then is immediately intimidated by three large bald men. You ain't heard the last of this. Why must they always be bald? Back in the law office, Sarah is worried that Adam is on drugs and dead in a ditch and she's lumbered with paying for the warranty on that fucking oven. Imran reckons that Adam will be fine and then in comes Adam. Fine. Yes. He reckons that that'll be the last of the hear of Mr. Jeremy Bremner and then the fancy new client comes in who looks like he's been sleeping in his car. <laughs> Sarah is back at work sitting with Claudia. Claudia? Sarah is back at work sitting with Carla and Lydia. Carla plus Lydia equals Claudia. (laughs) Explaining how concerned she is about this Jeremy character looking for more revenge. Lydia is worried too that Adam will just provoke the situation. We'll see, says Sarah, while Lydia looks on shiftily. 
Business concluded, Imran and Adam are like dogs with two dicks as they show the new client to the door, just as three armed policemen burst in, yelling at everyone to get on the ground. Yeah, heavily armed policemen, mm-hmm. would you believe? Yep. They've received a tip, but not like that, that there's a gun in the office and an imminent threat to life. And this is how they react. Yeah, they don't need to have any <laughs> evidence. Just a tip, but not like that. They're acting like American policemen here. What is wrong? I've got your six. <laughs> Adam protests their innocence as the cops rip the place asunder. Sarah and Lydia have finished a video call when Sean, in a taxi sweater, tells Sarah <laughs> about the armed police situation at the lawyer's office. I quite like that sweater. Sarah rushes off to see what's going on. Not in Sean, though. No. The police are just leaving, and the new client is unimpressed by the enemies that the law firm must have. He reckons they're a cowboy outfit, and he pulls out. Man, I like that. Nice one, says Imran, because Adam was a bit shouty and Scottish as the pigs were leaving. Right, and it, it's... You know, they they keep repeating, you've, you've, there's nothing here, obviously. <laughs> you've got the wrong, you know, you've, you've, you've been misled. And the police keep shouting at them that things will go easier for them if they would just stop and tell the truth. Mm-hmm. It is so bad. They've received a bad tip. But not like that. Thank you. Just the tip, though. <laughs> Just the tip. No evidence. No. There's no evidence that anything is going wrong. Uh, going no, on there. There's no shaft nobody, of evidence, right? Nobody has a gun in their hand. They can't find a gun. It's just these three guys. There's nobody. Sh- One of you know, looks like he slept in his car, though. <laughs> nothing is going on that would indicate anything. It's just, it's bad policing, and it's ridiculous in a soap opera. Can I say that it's not really bad policing? It's bad soap writing to just have the police react like this it's just awful <laughs> it's, it's just, like it's just, just so not believable right yeah it's it's like they just you know law and order was filming down the street and they're like hey we got why did you come here. why did you come be at our show for for five minutes and act like american policemen right saying <laughs> that they've got even, each other's sixties. even even those big oh. massive guns are so unbelievable for a situation in a tiny law office. Like, this would happen. Right. Oh, God, it was so bad. When Sarah arrives, she joins in being disappointed in Adam's attitude. Adam reckons this has to be more of Jeremy's doing. Imran worries what rumours of this will do to their reputation. Right. And also, is is this when Imran rightly points out to Adam? No. Okay. Sarah and Adam stop by the factory on their way home, Lydia being quite keen to learn what was going on earlier. Adam gives her a brief rundown and explains who he thinks is trying to stitch them up. It's that Jeremy Bremner. Mm-hmm. It's the lock out lost. Adam goes off to make Hawkeye. a statement to the police. Hawkeye the new. <laughs> Back at the cop shop, Adam explains that Jeremy has alibis for the car windscreen and the phone call to the cops. I worried Sarah begs Adam to let it go now. How do you have an alibi for a phone call to the cops? <laughs> he was on the phone to his mum at the time. <laughs> Or he was dead. Who just happens to be a police officer. Adam assures her that this will be the end of it. Later, Adam jokes that someone put a pipe bomb through Imran's cat flap. But not like that. Shocked by the bad taste, Sarah goes off for a shite while Adam makes himself a drink. And then he gets a crank phone call. And then Sarah says something rather nasty about Toya that she seems like the type of person who would have a cat flap. And yet no cat. Toya's got cat flap written all over her. What? How, what does that even mean? He gets a crying phone call, assumes it's Jeremy and tells me to back off. 
he hangs up and we finally see what this is doing to his nerves right. as he's shaking hands, pour himself a whiskey. And see, that I thought was really well done. Mm-hmm. I thought that that, that scene right there, just the, the shaking hand pouring the whiskey, yeah. that was excellent because it was understated and yet it spoke so much to his personality and to what he's feeling and everything. More of that, less of shouty policemen acting like Americans. Yeah, I think the... I don't think Adam needs to be exactly scared of the situation, but he's been so uh, pent up for the entire day that this, the release of it is enough to kind of just right. get his nerves all a jangling. I yeah. agree. I thought that was great. Yes. On Wednesday in their fancy flat, Adam disguises getting another silent call. Sarah gets up and suggests improving the security. She and Adam are still convinced that this is Jeremy Bremner's doings. Outside the law firm, Imran points out that yesterday's little escapade has made the wedding gazette. Adam oh. promises to phone round the clients to put their minds at ease, but Imran looks genuinely spooked by the whole episode. And inside, Adam's good to his word and is schmoozing on the phone, uh, promising lots of lunches, which seems to make Imran worse. He admits that his reaction is based on the fact that Imran has been treated like a criminal one or two times more than Adam, even just by turning up at the court. Yeah. And this honestly forces and this honesty forces Adam to confess about the silent calls that he's been receiving. Right. And this I thought this was this was nice too, an acknowledgement that, that that racism happens even for Imran. Yeah. You know, and that he shows up at court and people, and people mistake him for being the, con- the accused. Right, right, as opposed to the lawyer. Yeah. Yeah, that was, I, again, I felt like that was a nice touch and it was, it was believable that this is the sort of thing that would go on in Imran's head. This, this fear of the cops bursting in and him being honest and the police not believing him. Right. Because I think that happens to... An awful lot of brown people. And the um, fact that Lydia seems overly concerned about uh, <laughs> Stelly's well-being. <laughs> and the fact that Lydia seems overly concerned about Stelly's well-being after all the excitement of the last episode. I think I mean Sarah. I would hope that you mean Sarah. She reckons... They haven't cast Stelly yet. She reckons Sarah has cause to be furious with Adam, but Sarah says, if anything, has brought the two of them closer together. Something that Adam will also express later. Yes. And Nina's rolls, Adam gets another silent call. Imran implores him to report it, but Adam doesn't see the point and is still utterly convinced that this is Jeremy Bremner's handiwork. Meanwhile, Gail is going ahead to check out Sarah's flat. Clear, she shouts. Yep. And Sarah and Harry come in. Harry running off, squealing something unintelligible, like, fuck you's all, you bad pots. Harry actually... Harry actually speaks this week. Yeah, he's got lines again. Yeah. Sarah spots a lovely... He's so cute. Sarah spots a lovely bouquet of flowers on the table... Isn't Adam just the best? Then Adam gets home and it comes out that he didn't get Sarah the flowers after all. Sarah searches for a card and finds one that says the next funeral will be yours or something like that. Right. And and we realise that, that these are these are white lilies. Uh-huh. So she should have realised that this was a threat even before finding the card. The way that... Uh, who was it? Oh, the way Kathy realised the funeral wreath on her door Yeah, when, that was time a she was a troll. Remember when she was a troll? Yeah. Whatever happened to Brian and Kathy? Sarah and Adam are further spooked when Sarah announces that the flowers were on the table inside in the deadlocked flat. No. Sarah and Adam are further spooked when Sarah announces that the flowers were on the table inside the deadlocked flat and only Gail has a spare key. Someone got in, dropped off the flowers and left while somehow managing to lock the door again. If they left, worries. If they left worries Sarah. So Adam grabs a baseball bat and goes looking while Sarah calls the police, but Adam's search reveals nothing. Nothing. Probably illegal for Adam to have that baseball bat. I was going to ask about that. We've talked about this before, but yeah. 
if you don't play baseball, yeah, that's a whim. Yeah, which is one of those mind-boggling things that I think would give a good chunk of the people in this country a coronary. If you're going to keep a baseball bat in your flat, make sure you have a glove and a ball as well. Yes. To give it kind of and maybe a hat. deniability. Yeah. And maybe a Boston Red Sox poster. And some hot dogs. Yes. Miller Lite. And some peanuts and Cracker Jacks. Mm-hmm. And falling asleep. <laughs> the police speak to Adam oh. and Sarah, suggest that they change their locks as there's no sign of a break-in. Adam comes clean and tells them about the nuisance calls and how Jeremy Brenner definitely, definitely did it. We'll look into it, says a copper, who is a woman. Yes. Black. Yes. And ginger. And very nice. Ed comes round to fix Sarah's locks. And I like that. When he... <laughs> On a chastity belt. I don't even know what that means. When he goes, Adam thinks that Sarah would be safer if she stays somewhere else while he remains to draw the bad guys out. Sarah protests, but Adam knows what he's doing. The big old hunk of Scottish beef. Does he? So Sarah and Harry stop off You are a big old hunk of Scottish beef. Thank you. You're welcome. Nick is only too pleased to put her up, but doesn't think Adam should be on his own. But it's Peter who draws the short straw and goes to hang out with Adam. Peter asks when Adam started greeting visitors with a baseball bat. And in all honesty, I think Peter is the right choice yeah, to stay with Adam Peter, during this. Scripted scene is doing a, a bracket of, yes, she is. Of, uh, of Coronation Street fights. And I think <laughs> in a fight between Nick and Peter, I think even with a dodgy liver, I think Peter's still going to win that. Yeah. So Adam explains it all to Peter, again laying it on thick that this is Jeremy Brenner's doing and he wants to catch him in the act and Peter agrees to stay with Adam to face that out together. Later, Adam gets another silent call. He grabs his bat and looks out the window but doesn't see anything. And the phone goes again and Peter tells Adam just to let it ring. Damn you, Jeremy Bremner, shouts Adam. What if it isn't him? Asks Peter. And your trick arrows. Thank, thank you, Peter. Well, who else could it be? Says Adam. And then we cut to the car outside Adam's flat and it's Lydia who's on the phone. Surprise, it's a fucking prize. And to Jeremy, no one. And Jeremy Bremner wakes up in a dodgy looking alleyway at this, looks at the camera and says, told you so. Yeah, it was hilarious. There, there were some articles this past week that said audience members shocked that Lydia is the secret stalker. And I was like, really? Who? Was Who's anyone shocked? shocked by this? Was anyone shocked by this? We called this when she was first introduced. Yeah, yeah she's, she's had this single white female vibe about her. This, Branded to her forehead this, this whole time. Attraction. This whole time. Yeah. Since Christmas. On Friday, Adam, who doesn't work at the factory, comes into the factory to loudly announce that he has a set of keys cut for the new locks to give to Gail, loud enough so that Lydia, who's creepily creeping about like a spy, can definitely hear. But rather than hand Sarah the keys, Adam just leaves them on the desk for Lydia to see. Later, <sighs> Sarah and Lydia chat about their Valentine's Day plans. Adam has a work meeting, so he and Sarah are going to stay over at Debbie's Rape Hotel, despite it being a disaster the last time they were there, and it being a bit rapey. And also the place where Adam cheated with Carla. Yeah. <laughs> That'll be nice, says Lydia. Sarah rushes off to lunch, leaving Gail's spare keys on her desk for Lydia to snag. Who does that? So such... Who does that? As, as Mersey Tart rightly pointed out yesterday, it's just lazy writing. Just lazy, lazy writing for someone who is paranoid and frightened that somebody is going to get into their flat to leave the new keys to their flat lying on the desk. It is lazy writing for people to either let their leave their phone on a table or let their battery die or to just turn the ringer off and say, I'm turning the ringer off now. And then the very next scene be somebody trying to call them about something important. It's just, can we, (laughs) 
It's not great. It's not. And the fact that it happens over and over, we at least once a week, something like this happens. This Last week, it was Ash's phone. I've put a little challenge out there. I don't know if the show will see, but let's have a week when none of that happens. Yeah. That's Just never going to happen. Let's see if it can be done. I mean, this you have characters in a situation that they they need to either get out of or need to generate some reaction that has to happen. And so many times it's relying on a phone being left, a wallet. Are we really believing that later Adam's going to go at the bistro without his wallet? He's yeah. not going to realise he doesn't have his wallet. Right. People don't realise they have their phone. People don't realise that they don't have their keys. Right. People don't realise that they've left keys. Like you said, they're spooked to fuck. Right. But people breaking in, those keys aren't going to be gripped in your fist for the right. entire time that they're in your possession. You're going to just leave them on the desk. Yeah, that's not going to happen. You're asking us to believe this. Yeah. And it's ridiculous. It is. It's very ridiculous. <sighs> <sighs> So, at the bistro, Adam and Sarah are having lunch. He's still worried about the nuisance phone calls. Then Imran comes in to tell him that Jeremy Brenner was arrested this morning for unrelated chicanery. Then when Adam goes to pay, he realises that he's accidentally left his wallet back at home because he's Scottish. He <laughs> deliberately did this. Because he's miserly, right? <laughs> Meanwhile, Lydia's in their fancy apartment where she cuts the head off roses and chucks the petals on the floor, mafia style. Then she retrieves Adam's credit card from his wallet and takes a photograph of it. Sarah gets back to the factory and is quick to tell Lydia, who's now back there, that Jeremy Bremner has been arrested this morning, so that's one less thing to worry about. She finally takes possession of the spare keys and then leaves for the night, having done no work at all today. No. When she leaves, it looks like Lydia has gotten another set of keys cut. So she hightails it back to the flat, this time to tidy up the mess that she left last time and to take note of Adam and Sarah's router number. This despite Sarah saying that she and Harry were going to move in back to the flat right now Harry is missing in action so it's Adam and Sarah that come in forcing Lydia to hide (coughs) and thankfully for her Sarah and Adam are keen to get their hole allowing Lydia to grab her bag that she's left out in the middle of the living room right and that nobody noticed people notice flowers but they don't notice this bag right yeah and also the whole because it wasn't the router number it was like the serial number on the back of Adam's phone because Adam has left his phone too I thought no I thought it was their their Wi-Fi router that she picked up i don't know but it was something so that she could text adam from her phone or she could text as adam from her phone and it would show up on his phone lydia's, lydia's not this smart phone. With lydia was lydia an extra in mission impossible or something what is going on here this is Later, Lydia has turned up for some reason and is about to leave when Sarah invites her to stay and have a drink. Oh, she had some files that she needed to give to Sarah. Thruple? (laughs) Drinks had. Sarah now invites Lydia to stay for dinner and to listen to her and Adam talk about how much in love they are with each other and what a pathetic loser Jeremy Bremner is. As they were on, Lydia seems to hide something down her couch, like gloves or her will to live. She makes her excuses and leaves. Lydia's a big girl, says Adam, for no reason. Right. Well, she yeah, that she could take care of herself because Sarah's like, oh, you know, I was just really worried about. It. I was disappointed because I thought, I thought that Sarah had finally put two and two together, and that's why she kept insisting that Lydia stay. That there was going to be a big reveal here. Oh, no such luck. No such luck at all. No, no we're, we're getting months more of this. Sarah is Sarah is just for some reason not wanting to be alone with her husband. 
Oh, she's oh, so apparently feeling sorry for Lydia because oh, they're so best sorry. friends again now, remember? Ugh. So now Lydia and Sarah are meeting in the community garden in the middle of the night. Sarah wonders why Lydia is so sad given that she's moved on, has a new guy and a bright future running after her and Carla's every fucking whim at the factory. Yeah, she's, she's giving her back her gloves, which she'd stuffed down the couch. Then it dawns on Sarah. Lydia's new guy is married. <gasps> Sarah insists, oh, that's what was stuffed in there. Yeah. All oh, right, okay. Sarah insists that the two of them go to the rovers to get fucked on Vino because that'll help. Even though Adam's cockle van waits for no woman, he says. No. In other that's words, true. he's off for a quick hand shandy. Right, yeah. In the pub, Lydia's clearly talking he's, about Adam when he's she's. He's about ta- ready to van his cock. <laughs> in the pub, Lydia's clearly talking about Adam when she's talking about her new fella, but Sarah is so dense that she doesn't notice. And she reacts badly when Daisy sticks her nose in, calling Lydia a slapper for being a marriage wrecker. As Sarah gets back home, Lydia has let herself into the factory, sprayed an old pair of her kecks with perfume and put them in a bag that she writes out for herself that she hides in her desk? Someone's desk? Who knows? This is so ridiculous. And that's how we end this week's episodes. Burn it all down. Burn it with fire. This is so fucking dumb. Kill it. Kill it with fire until it is dead. I don't you, really want to have another bitches be crazy storyline, but that's that's what we're getting. Right, it's Jade 2.0. And just the way that it's kind of... Because it was like one or two things a week was happening to Adam. His car was keyed, and then there was a the spray paint, mm-hmm. you know, and stuff. And yet this week, it's like crank phone calls. Constant which, breaking into the flat. Breaking into the breaking into Constant. the flat, having obviously made a copy of their old keys. And how did she do that exactly? At some point, you know, Mission Impossible feats with the Wi-Fi and Adam's phone, and you know the death threats. The way, but why is she thing, doing any of this? Yeah, yeah. The, the, well, she blames Adam for ruining a relationship life? with Daniel, or you know, just, really. Well, remember, she was doing this before the relationship with Daniel, and then it seemed to kind of slow down with the whole Daniel thing. But the way she she puts those roses in the vase, and then cuts the heads off the roses, and then strews the rose petals around. And then tidies up. And then I think she tidies up because she's freaked out because Jeremy Brenner is in jail now, so he can't be blamed. Yeah, but that makes us even more ridiculous that she thinks to to risk getting caught to tidy up right and then yet again and, and yet is still doing this whole thing with the whole you know sending dirty texts right so the, the fact that it looks like she's getting caught out so she goes and tidies up and then doesn't stop and you know and amps it up really and she's so very tech savvy all of a sudden and also you know if somebody calls you if you've been getting these harassing phone calls and also you've been harassed and somebody's broken into your flat, you'd think that the police would be like, okay, let's, let's try to figure out where these phone calls are coming from, you know, because it, it's, it's not that hard to figure out who an unknown caller is. Well, I'm sure there are ways and means. Right? It's just, especially since the police have become part of this whole, and what did she say on the phone that would convince the police that these two lawyers who have never, let's remember, never been criminally charged with anything, have, have, have no strikes against them, are somehow hiding a gun and threatening people with it. It suggests that if 
someone was to pick up the phone and say that Roy is collecting hand grenades <laughs> in his cafe, that the first thing the police would do is just to barge in with, with machine guns. assault rifles and... And handcuff Roy and and Bernie and and Nina. Where is your hand grenades? I don't have any. Where are they? I don't have, tell the truth. Right. But, but I kind of am. This is the truth. Oh, <sighs> kill it with fire. I mean, I'm not. I'm not against having a. Because this feels like it's a main storyline, right? This feels like this is a long burning storyline that's going to be going on. Uh, is going to I don't know because it seems Adam like it's Sarah apart It seems like this has really picked up Yeah You know it has escalated for some reason Just this week Where instead of just like one thing of graffiti It's a smashed car And the call to the police And the flowers And the phone calls And you know And the setting up of next week where Lydia is discovered to have gotten some scented underwear, which it seems like she just picked off the rack there at the factory. <laughs> right. It's like, oh, what? Is that what she's doing? She's, she's had it. Oh, what? Oh, none of it makes any sense. No. She wants to break up Adam and Sarah for whatever happened in Edinburgh. We don't really know what happened in Edinburgh. Adam seemed to genuinely not remember who she was. Right. So... And then th- this the mysterious Finn's parentage, I think we're going to eventually get to the point where it turns out to be Adam's. Where even is Finn? We haven't seen him since that one scene. No. So that that's weird too. I don't know. It just feels like this is a, a long burning storyline that is going to have months to run and repercussions. And I'm not against the fact that Adam and Sarah are having a storyline. I'm not really even against Lydia. I think she's like. I think she would be better served. And she deserves a better storyline than, than, than this, as our introduction to it has been a bitches be crazy storyline. Right. And also, oh, this, this woman who is a feminist and is really into Mary Wollstonecraft and, and reads books and is an intellectual. She's the crazy one. Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't like that either. But And the, the tech-savvy... Uh, Mission Impossible-esque character also breaks into people's flats while wearing her camel hair coat. <laughs> Just looks so ridiculous. And those black leather gloves. Oh, well, that was the week that was Coronation Street. It was. It was kind of daft. It was. What was your moment of the week, though? I love you, Big Bear. <laughs> I love you, too. That's, oh, my, no. that's uh, my moment of the week. I Steve love you, Big Bear. Tim. Yeah, it was just a lovely little moment. It was. And because it reminded me of you and Stoops, <laughs> who is admittedly a big bear. That's my Stoopsy. He's massive. He's not massive. He's massive. He's like over six foot. Yeah, I'll say he's tall more than massive. But he's also very broad, broad shouldered. Oh. Like he's not fat. You, you be by careful any how means. you're talking about my, my big bear here. <laughs> you that's... haven't seen it in 10 years. I know. Well, seven. <laughs> oh, that's right. We did go back that one time. Where his wife accused me of stealing all the men in Scotland. <laughs> well, there's a precedent. <laughs> that is our moment of the week. Our moment of the week. I think we'll have a tough job selling that one. Anyway. I don't fucking care. It's our podcast. Boring moment of the week. Lydia copying down the router number. No. No. Uh, Daniel doing something. Do you know what I... Thought was my boring moment of the week. It was homeless Stu's little conversation with Kelly, that was just 
and it was nothing that Holmes Stew was doing or Kelly was doing. Yeah. But it was once more another conversation that they have together about how they're kind of turned their life around and how they're getting back on their feet. Right, yeah. And I felt like we'd been there before. Right. And the whole thing was really just to set up a place for Laura to find them. Right. That's the only reason that happened. Yeah, and how did Laura know they were there? Yeah, that was a bit... Oh, because she overheard the whole conversation with Stu. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. All right, yeah. That kind of bored me. Fair enough. That's it. Boring moment of the Boring moment of the Shall we wrap this one up then? Go right ahead, Big Bear. (laughs) I'm not Big Bear. You're my Big Bear. <laughs> if you'd rather that we'd never do any of that again, <laughs> write in to tell us. We're the talk of the street at gmail.com and we're at Cory Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can shake me and Helen a coffee by heading to ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of vogel.co.uk for please. links to our merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave. Please, please leave. Reeve. Reeve, Reeve. Reggie? A rating <laughs> and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode, and Thank we you. will be back next week with more. A talk of the street. The talk of the street. Bye. Cheerio.